Chapter Four of the Queen of Hearts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Queen of Hearts by Wilkie Collins. Our Grand Project. Chapter Four, Part Three. Brother Owen's story of the siege of the Black Cottage. To begin at the beginning, I must take you back to the time after my mother's death, when only my brother had gone to sea, when my sister was out at service, and when I lived alone with my father in the midst of a moor in the west of England. The moor was covered with great limestone rocks, and intersected here and there by streamlets. The nearest habitation to ours was situated about a mile and a half off, where a strip of the fertile land stretched out into the waste like a tongue. Here the outbuildings of the Great Moor Farm, then in the possession of my husband's father, began. The farmland stretched down gently into a beautiful rich valley, lying nicely sheltered by the high platform of the moor. When the ground began to rise again miles and miles away, it led up to a country house called Home Manor, belonging to a gentleman named Knifton. Mr. Knifton had lately married a young lady to whom my brother had nursed and whose kindness and friendship for me, her foster-sister, I shall remember gratefully to the last day of my life. These and other slight particulars it is necessary to my story that I should tell you, and it is also necessary that you should be especially careful to bear them well in mind. My father was by trade a stonemason. His cottage stood a mile and a half from the nearest habitation. In all other directions we were four or five times that distance from neighbours. Being very poor people, this lonely situation had one great attraction for us. We lived rent-free on it. In addition to that advantage, the stones by shaping which my father gained his livelihood lay all about him at his very door, so that he thought his position, solitary as it was, quite an enviable one. I can hardly say that I agreed with him, though I never complained. I was very fond of my father, and managed to make the best of my loneliness with the thought of being useful to him. Mrs. Knifton wished me to take her into service when she married, but I declined, unwillingly enough, for my father's sake. If I had gone away, he would have had nobody to live with him, and my mother made me promise on her deathbed that he should never be left to pine away alone in the midst of the bleak moor. Our cottage, small as it was, was stoutly and snugly built with stone from the moor as a matter of course. The walls were lined inside and fenced outside with wood, the gift of Mr. Knifton's father to my father. This double covering of cracks and crevices, which would have been superfluous in a sheltered position, was absolutely necessary in our exposed situation to keep out the cold winds, which, excepting just the summer months, it swept over us continually all year round. The outside boards covering our roughly built stone walls my father protected against the wet with pitch and tar. This gave to our little abode a curiously dark, dingy look, especially when it was seen from a distance, and so it had come to be called in the neighbourhood, even before I was born, the Black Cottage. I have now related the preliminary particulars which it is desirable that you should know, and may proceed at once to the pleasanter task of telling you my story. One cloudy autumn day, when I was rather more than eighteen years old, a herdsman walked over from Moor Farm with a letter which had been left there for my father. 
it came from a builder living at our country town half a day's journey off and it invited my father to come to him and give his judgment about an estimate for some stonework on a very large scale my father's expenses for loss of time were to be paid and he was to have his share of employment afterwards in preparing the stone he was only too glad therefore to obey the directions which the letter contained and to prepare at once for the long walk to the county town considering the time at which he received the letter and the necessity of resting before he attempted to return it was impossible for him to avoid being away from home for one night at least he proposed to me in case i disliked being left alone in the black cottage to lock the door and to take me to moore farm to sleep with any one of the milkmaids who would give me a share of her bed i by no means liked the notion of sleeping with a girl whom i did not know and saw no reason to feel afraid of being left alone for only just one night so i declined no thieves had ever come near us our poverty was sufficient protection against them and of other dangers there were none that even the most timid person could apprehend accordingly i got my father's dinner laughing at the notion of my taking refuge under the protection of a milkmaid at moor farm he started for his walk as soon as he had done saying he should try and be back by dinner-time the next day and leaving me and my cat polly to take care of the house i had cleared the table and brightened up the fire and had sat down to my work with the cat dozing at my feet when i heard the trampling of horses and running to the door saw mr and mrs knifton with their groom behind them riding up to the black cottage it was part of the young lady's kindness never to neglect an opportunity of coming to pay me a friendly visit and her husband was generally willing to accompany her for his wife's sake i made my best curtsy therefore with a great deal of pleasure but with no particular surprise at seeing them they dismounted and entered the cottage laughing and talking in great spirits i soon heard that they were riding to the same county town for which my father was bound and they intended to stay with some friends there for a few days and to return home on horseback as they went out i heard this and i also discovered that they had been having an argument in jest about money matters as they rode along to our cottage mrs knifton had accused her husband of inveterate extravagance and of never being able to go out with money in his pocket without spending it all if he possibly could before he got home again mr knifton had laughingly defended himself by declaring that all his pocket money were in presents for his wife and that if he spent it lavishly it was under her sole influence and superintendence we're going to cliverton now he said to mrs knifton naming the county town and warming himself at our poor fire just as pleasantly as if he had been standing on his own grand hearth you will stop to admire every pretty thing in every one of cliverton's shop windows i shall hand you the purse and you will go in and buy when we have reached home again and you have had time to get tired of your purchases you will clasp your hands in amazement and declare that you are quite shocked at my habits of inveterate extravagance i am only the banker who keeps the money you my love are the spendthrift who throws it all away am i sir said mrs knifton with a look of mock indignation we will see if i am to be misrepresented in this way with impunity bessie my dear turning to me you shall judge how far i deserve the character which that unscrupulous man has just given to me i am the spendthrift am i and you are only the banker very well banker give me my money at once if you please mr knifton laughed and took some gold and silver from his waistcoat pocket 
no no said mrs knifton you may want what you have got there for necessary expenses is that all the money you have about you what do i feel here and she tapped her husband on the chest just over the breast pocket of his coat mr knifton laughed again and produced his pocket-book his wife snatched it out of his hand opened it and drew out some bank-notes put them back again immediately and closed the pocket-book stepped across the room to my poor mother's little walnut wood bookcase the only bit of valuable furniture we had in the house what are you going to do there asked mr knifton following his wife mrs knifton opened the glass door of the bookcase put the pocket-book in a vacant place on one of the lower shelves closed and locked the door again and gave me the key you called me a spendthrift just now she said there is my answer not one farthing of that money shall you spend at cliverton on me keep the key in your pocket bessie and whatever mr knifton may say on no account let him have it until we call again on our way back no sir i won't trust you with that money in your pocket in the town of cliverton i will make sure of your taking it all home again by leaving it here in more trustworthy hands than yours until we ride back bessie my dear what do you say to that as a lesson in economy inflicted on a prudent husband by a spendthrift wife she took mr knifton's arm while she spoke and drew him away to the door he protested and made some resistance but she easily carried her point for he was far too fond of her to have a will of his own in any trifling matter between them whatever the men might say mr knifton was a model husband in the estimation of all the women who knew him you will see us as we come back bessie till then you are our banker and the pocket-book is yours cried mrs knifton gaily at the door her husband lifted her into the saddle mounted himself and away they both galloped over the moor as wild and happy as a couple of children although my being trusted with money by mrs knifton was no novelty in her maiden days she always employed me to pay her dressmaker's bills i did not feel quite easy at having a pocket-book full of banknotes left by her in my charge i had no positive apprehensions about the safety of the deposit placed in my hands but it was one of the odd points in my character then and i think it is still to feel an unreasonably strong objection to charging myself with money responsibilities of any kind even to suit the convenience of my dearest friends as soon as i was left alone the very sight of the pocket-book behind the glass door of the bookcase began to worry me and instead of returning to my work i puzzled my brains about finding a place to lock it up in where it would not be exposed to the view of any chance passers-by who might stray into the black cottage this was not an easy matter to compass in a poor house like ours where we had nothing valuable to put under lock and key after running over various hiding-places in my mind i thought of my tea-caddy a present from mrs knifton which i always kept out of harm's way in my own bedroom most unluckily as it afterward turned out instead of taking the pocket-book to the tea-caddy i went in my room first to take the tea-caddy to the pocket-book i only acted in this roundabout way from sheer thoughtlessness and severely enough i was punished for it as you will acknowledge yourself when you have read a page or two more of my story i was just getting the unlucky tea-caddy out of my cupboard when i heard footsteps in the passage and running out immediately saw two men walk into the kitchen the room in which i had received mr and mrs knifton i inquired what they wanted sharply enough and one of them answered immediately that they wanted my father 
he turned toward me of course as he spoke and i recognized him as a stonemason going among his comrades by the name of shifty dick he bore a very bad character for everything but wrestling a sport for which the working men of our parts were famous all throughout the county shifty dick was champion and he had got his name from some tricks of wrestling for which he was celebrated he was a tall heavy man with a lowering scarred face and huge hairy hands the last visitor in the whole world that i should have been glad to see under any circumstances his companion was a stranger whom he addressed by the name of jerry a quick dapper wicked-looking man who took off his cap to me with mock politeness and showed in so doing a very bald head with some very ugly-looking knobs on top of it i distrusted him worse than i did shifty dick and managed to get between his leering eyes and the bookcase as i told the two that my father was gone out and i did not expect him back till the next day the words were hardly out of my mouth before i repented that my anxiety to get rid of my unwelcome visitors had made me incautious enough to knowledge that my father would be away from home for the whole night shifty dick and his companion looked at each other when i unwisely let out the truth but made no remark except to ask me if i would give them a drop of cider i answered sharply that i had no cider in the house having no fear of the consequences of refusing them drink because i knew that plenty of men were at work within hail in a neighbouring quarry the two looked at each other again when i denied having any cider to give them and jerry as i am obliged to call him knowing no other name by which to distinguish the fellow took off his cap to me once more and with a kind of blackguard gentility upon him said they would have the pleasure of calling the next day when my father was at home i said good afternoon as ungraciously as possible and to my great relief they both left the cottage immediately afterward as soon as they were well away i watched them from the door they trudged off in the direction of moor farm and as it was beginning to get dusk i soon lost sight of them half an hour afterward i looked out again the wind had lulled with the sunset but the mist was rising and a heavy rain was beginning to fall never did the lonely prospect of the moor look so dreary as it looked to my eyes that evening never did i regret any slight thing more sincerely than i then regretted the leaving of mrs knifton's pocket-book in my charge i cannot say that i suffered under any actual alarm for i felt next to certain that neither shifty dick nor jerry had got a chance of setting eyes on so small a thing as the pocket-book while they were in the kitchen but there was a kind of vague distrust troubling me a suspicion of the night a dislike of being left by myself which i never remember having experienced before this feeling so increased after i had closed the door and gone back to the kitchen that when i heard the voices of the quarrymen as they passed our cottage on their way home to the village in the valley below moor farm i stepped out into the passage with a momentary notion of telling them how i was situated and asking them for advice and protection i had hardly formed this idea however before i dismissed it none of the quarrymen were intimate friends of mine i had a nodding acquaintance with them and believed them to be honest men as times went but my own common sense told me that what little knowledge of their characters i had was by no means sufficient to warrant me in admitting them into my confidence in the matter of the pocket-book i had seen enough of poverty and poor men to know what a terrible temptation a large sum of money is to those whose whole lives are passed in scraping up sixpences by weary hard work 
it is one thing to write fine sentiments in books about incorruptible honesty and another to put those sentiments in practice when one day's work is all that a man has to set up in the way of an obstacle between starvation and his own fireside the only resource that remained was to carry the pocket-book with me to moor farm and ask permission to pass the night there but i could not persuade myself that there was any real necessity for taking such a course as this and if the truth must be told my pride revolted at the idea of presenting myself in the character of a coward before the people at the farm timidity is thought a rather graceful attraction among ladies but among poor women it is something to be laughed at a woman with less spirit of her own than i had and always shall have would have considered twice my situation before she made up her mind to encounter the jokes of ploughmen and the jeers of milkmaids as for me i had hardly considered about going to the farm before i despised myself for entertaining any such notion no no i thought i am not the woman to walk a mile and a half through the rain and mist and darkness to tell a whole kitchen full of people that i am afraid come what may hear i stop till father gets back having arrived at that valiant resolution the first thing i did was to lock and bolt the back and front doors and see to the security of every shutter in the house that duty performed i made a blazing fire lighted my candle sat down to tea as snug and comfortable as possible i could hardly believe now with the light in the room and the sense of security inspired by the closed doors and shutters that i had even felt the slightest apprehension earlier in the day i sang as i washed up the tea things and even the cat seemed to catch the infection of my good spirits i never knew the pretty creature so playful as she was that evening the tea things put by i took up my knitting and worked away at it so long that i began at last to get drowsy the fire was so bright and comforting that i could not muster resolution enough to leave it and go to bed i sat staring lazily into the blaze of my knitting on my lap sat till the splashing of the rain outside and the fitful sullen sobbing of the wind grew fainter and fainter on my ear the last sounds i heard before i fairly dozed off to sleep were the cheerful crackling of the fire and the steady purring of the cat as she basked luxuriously in the warm light of the hearth those were the last sounds before i fell asleep the sound that woke me was one loud bang at the front door End of chapter four part three